Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. So excited to be here uh, this afternoon as you're tuning in or those of you that are watching this on replay, we're honored that you've been journeying with us through this sermon series. We've come now to the emotion of fear, which is probably our strongest emotion, but it is also a very unique emotion. What I want you to do this afternoon, and if you are watching this on replay, I want you to take a second just to center your soul and just for a moment, allow yourself to consider that this is a very tough emotion to look at. In fact, if you would, think of your soul like a home, almost like a mansion with many rooms. Think of yourself as walking around this soulish home with Jesus. Have you ever been in somebody's house and while in that house, you've walked around and then you said, what's in that room? And they said something to the effect of, we don't go in that room, or we never really go there. For many of us, fear is the room we never really go into. It's the room that we oftentimes don't want to stare in. With Jesus this afternoon, we want to take some time to courageously look at fear. We want to walk into that room. Think for a second how hard it is to answer this question. What are you afraid of? Now, I'm not talking about physical fear. Obviously, we can talk about lions and tigers and bears and spiders and heights. We get that. We're talking about the emotional space of fear that's not just talking about death, but we're talking about fears that are kind of with us and more palatable, fears that are more consistent, Fears that are more bigger in the soul, not just thinking of tragic situations, but deeper concerns. Fear oftentimes manifests itself in two ways. Throughout my time of ministering to people and pastoring, one of the first ways I've seen people be mostly afraid, particularly here in New York City, particularly amongst young people, particularly in an age of social media, is a fear of failure. This idea that I won't be enough and I won't be the thing that I thought I would be. That I'm not tracking, I'm not progressing, that I'm not uh, operating at the pace to get to the place that I eventually thought I would become. Maybe I won't amount to what I dreamed of being. The fear of failure most likely captures you. But I would say the other fear that most likely enters into our community most is the fear of perception. What do people think of me? And in particular, we rank it because there are certain people that you're okay to move beyond their thoughts, but there are people that you rank higher than others and you are overwhelmed by the fear of man. In the two spaces beyond this room we don't go into is walking into what am I afraid of? What am I afraid to fail in? Moreover, who am I afraid of? Who are the people that capture my soul? In our fear of fear, in our fear of looking at fear, 
We have a hard time looking into this space because we've been taught that fear equals weakness. We've understood it as an influence that makes us doubt, that causes us to distrust relationships, which makes us then hide from the fear. We are in a place of fear of our fear. In our fear of fear, we demand guarantees. We overly control and we don't take risks. And unfortunately, too many of us answer fear by silencing its voice. We run from risks. We eliminate trust. We hide our dependency. And we become fretful and controlling and we will never collaborate, we will isolate. We're not just talking about fear alone, we're talking about the fear that controls. Who would you be if you didn't let fear control you? What kingdom risks have you not taken because you've been living in fear? What God-sized opportunities have you circumvented and moved around because all you thought about was not the potential of what God could do through you, but the fear of how you'd be perceived if you failed? How much have you been missing out on based upon your underlying fears? What's on the other side of that room? What's on the other side of fear? What we have to realize is that fear offers us the opportunity to trust God and and others with our need for help. We acknowledge that we need help and it entices us as well to stay stuck in distrust and self-will. If, here's the caution, saints, if you don't name What lurks in the dark shadows of your soul, it will master you. Many of you are achievers. In particular, many of you have ambition. And because you're so ambitious, you remember those school, those those shirts that we used to wear back in the day? Well, I didn't wear them, but those shirts that said no fear, right? You were taught that. You were taught if you're wanting to achieve greatly, no fear. So you don't look into your fears. And you can slip into power and control and anger, and anger, defensiveness and aggressiveness. And you take action, but you never look deep inside of you and you can hide from the fear of your mind but still have fear be the operating system of your soul fear what is fear fear by definition is an emotion that exists that helps you orient to your surroundings. It helps you identify change and possible hazards and takes actions to keep yourself safe. Fear is the feeling that lets us know we're in danger. Fear tells us that we have need. Fear tells us that we're not in control. But fear also leads us to the reminder that there is someone who is in control. There are myths about fear that we have to just 
bump up against and tackle. One myth is, as I mentioned before, this idea that we're supposed to be fearless. In other words, fearless people are courageous people. The fact of the matter is, fearless people can become reckless people. God wants you to be fearful and yet discerning, and we're going to talk about that. I mean, you don't want a a doctor or a surgeon to work on you that's fearless. You don't want a pilot with a plane that's fearless. You don't want someone with a Mack truck that's fearless. You want them to have a concern and cautious and be aware of things that are out there, the dangers that are out there. Fear makes you aware of what could potentially go wrong, not thinking things will always work out right. You don't want someone that's fearless. Fearlessness will lead to recklessness. The other myth is this idea that we should not feel fear at all. And this is where we are afraid to walk into, this idea that we don't feel fear. And, and that's, what, that's, that's based upon the other myth too. We see people and you say, what are you afraid of? And they're like, man, I'm not afraid of anything. You know, I don't, I don't feel fear. I'm not into fear. Well, the Bible is not really encouraging us to not feel fear at all. The idea is to not be controlled by our fear. And, and, and when fear does not control us, we can look at fear. We can see what concerns us. We can see anxiety building up in us. We can see tension arising. We can see the dangers in people and we can walk towards them in love because we are aware of what could work out wrong. We have to stare at fear, but not be controlled by it. This is what it looks like to operate in the discerning power of the Holy Spirit and be aware of fears. Mark chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus says this when sending out the disciples. He says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves wise as serpent and yet innocent as doves. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to send you out amongst people and they are going to hate you simply because of the name of Jesus. And so what he says here is know that these people are wolves and you are the sheep. You are the people that are going to care and love and be known for your love. And these people coming after you, these people talking about you, these people wanting to hurt you, they have motives that come against you, they are wolves. But here's how I want you to be. I want you to be wise like a serpent and innocent as a dove. The the imagery there is that you should have an awareness of the motives of people. You should have awareness and discernment. When you hear a person who has a, a biting kind of spirit, a jealous kind of spirit, you should be aware and be able to move beyond them, move back from them. There should be an awareness that you have. And so when you operate with that wisdom of a serpent, you know what's going on in people. But with the innocent of a dove, you operate therefore in gentleness. The gentleness allows you to love people even though they have motives and an agenda that would come against you. What Jesus is saying is that love people that may want to hurt you even though you realize they could hurt you. 
The problem Jesus is indicating is that we cannot, because we know there's danger out there, we cannot end up being all snake. Because when we're all snake, we end up being people that are street smart, yet suspicious. We're cunning, because you know how people are. And you keep yourself always cautious of the human condition. But at the same time, he doesn't want us to be all dove where we end up being gullible and we believe people's best without any proof. We're over-trusting. So Jesus wants us to be very aware of the condition of men and yet very aware of the power of the Holy Spirit to love people at their worst, gentle as doves, innocent, and yet wise as serpent, aware of men and how they are. And if I could just make a note here, Jesus wants us to be this way, but many people, particularly in the church, many people end up just like snakes. They end up all snake. They end up always being concerned about what people are going to say, what people are going to do, what people are going to think. They end up as all snake because they started off as all dove. They were over-trusting. They, cared. They, believed, they believed everything that people said. They walked into the church and they thought everybody had good motives, not realizing that we were sinners that are saved but still sin. And so you started off all dove, but now you're all snake and you walk around and you coil away from people. And the Bible does not call you to just know God and be alone. He calls you to love God and love people. At some point, even though you know she talks about you, you still got to love her. You see, gentle as a dove, aware like a snake. That's what God is building in you. And so what, what we are called to do when we, are aware, when we are aware of danger, when we have an awareness of how people are operating, then what we are called to do is in Psalm 139, David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know, know my anxious thought. See, you see, you see this door. You see how I have fears here of people and how they are. You see the fears of failure that I have. God, you open this door with me because I am unwilling to walk through this door on my own. I'm unwilling to look at my weaknesses. I'm unwilling to look at the power and the potential of people. So, you walk through this door with me. See if there is any anxious. He uses this word anxious ways, meaning its, it's, it's base is fearful, tension. What have I been thinking about? You see if there's an offensive way and you lead me. You turn the light on on those fears. What would you be? What would you be? What would you be if you stopped being afraid of what people would say? What would you be? What would you be if you actually took the risks that God calls us to do in his name? Who would you be if you said the things that God had been calling you to say? Where would you go if you went the direction that God was saying? In other words, if his voice was greater than the fearful tones in your soul, what would you do? Search me, God. Where we don't want to end up is like Saul. You see, Saul was a man who ultimately was incredibly gifted. He was, a, he was the first king of Israel. 
And the people wanted a king and he was tall and strong and all these different things. But Saul became overwhelmed by looking at himself. And it says in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 10, when God calls him to be a king, God's calling him to something greater and grander and it's understandably overwhelming. Just a few chapters earlier, he was minding his own business, plowing a field in a farm. Now he's Israel's king. It's understandable that, that God is choosing him to do something he couldn't do on his own. It's understandable. And here's what happens. When God calls him and all the tribes are there, it says that Saul answers when God is calling him, he says, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel and is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? And if you notice, the reason why he's overwhelmed in fear is that he's only, he's hearing the voice of God, but he is staring at himself. Look at me, look at where I'm from, look at my background, look at my people, look at my education, I mean, look what I have. And let me just side note, the people that live in fear because of their resume will live in pride when they have success. See, see, it's his resume, he's like, look, I don't have all that. And, and, and look, he says, I'm in the humblest. Now, if you really stu study the, the tribes, the Benjamite tribe was a warrior tribe. This was the Hood tribe. This was the East New York tribe. I mean, this tribe was crazy tribe. I mean, if you really just study them, he should have said, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. He should have had pride in his tribe, but he didn't. So in reality, what's, what's happening is, it's not really his resume, it's his fear of failing. What if I'm not a great king? What if I'm not the king that the people are looking at me? What if I'm just a show? And so Saul, so, the, so they, now the people, inquired of the Lord, is there a man still to come? The people are literally waiting and saying, where's, where's the king that we've been waiting for? And look what happens. God says, the Lord says to them, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. All the people had come from all around and they had bags that they left at the side and then they were all gathering up. And so Saul had went away from the people and went amongst the bags so that they wouldn't find him. Interestingly enough, how poignant it is that even though Saul was the king, he was hiding in his baggage. In the same way, Saul, even though he ends up becoming the king, <laughs> if you read about Saul, Saul is this in, one of the most insecure leaders that you've ever seen. Saul ends up operating in fear. He constantly feels threatened. He's constantly offended. He's constantly on the offense against people he thinks that are against him. He ends up being this paranoid, impulsive, aggressive psychopath. He always thinks, oh, they're against me. Oh, oh, he became all snake. And he ended up 
missing out on the people that were actually for him, he thought were against him. He ended up trying to kill the people. He ended up trying to kill David who was actually supporting him. Why? Because he lived in that baggage. He lived in his fears. He chases David into the desert. He, he, he throws a spear up against David. He tr constantly tries to kill David. If Saul had become self-aware, if Saul had kind of entered into his fears and said, why am I afraid? Moreover, if Saul brought his fears to God, what kind of king would he have been? But he operated in fight or flight. And he made disastrous decisions. Do not think that just because you have fears, you can never become successful. Some of the most successful people are some of the most insecure people. In fact, their insecurity drives them. But you, when you get close to them, you can see, you can feel they're not free because they believe that this is their show and they don't see God behind the scenes. They're not operating and resting in his power. They're looking at their resume. You contrast this with someone like Moses. Moses who, I mean, Moses who is a murderer. Moses who ends up running off and God calls him through a burning bush. Moses who ends up for 40 years, ended up tending to sheep. Moses who has no desire to lead. God calls him. And the Bible says in Exodus 4, when God basically told him, listen, you are going to make the most prophetic announcement that generations have seen, and I have chosen you, and you are going to speak to Pharaoh, and you're going to have prophetic power, and I'm going to use you in ways you could not imagine. And the dream you had that was young, that you had when you were young, it didn't come because of your eloquence at first through all the, through all the uh, education you had. It came from brokenness, and I'm now taking you. So now, I want you to speak. And when Moses hears this word, what does he say? He does the same thing Saul did. He looks at himself. He says, oh Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. He was like, I, I, wouldn't, I shouldn't have been leading in the first place, even in the past. I don't know why you're choosing me now. Like he's really thought about this thing. He says, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. How can you have someone who is a poor communicator giving the most eloquent, powerful, prophetic speech that 400 years has ever seen? Why would you choose me? Then the Lord said to himself, who has made man's mouth? The Lord says to him, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And when you contrast Saul and Moses, they both looked at themselves. They both were in their fears and they both did not want to do what God was calling them to do. The difference between Saul and Moses is that Saul was afraid in his baggage and Moses was afraid before the Lord. He brought his fears 
in front of God. He named his fears. They walked into that room together and they began to walk around. He says, what about my eloquence? And do you notice what God does? He does what we don't do as humans. You know what he, notice what he does? God didn't encourage Moses. God didn't say, you know, you're a good speaker. You, you know, you know, you know what, Moses, all these people, they're just bugging. You, you're going to do well, Moses. He doesn't even talk about how he could have he could have prophesied. He could have shown him. He could have put a vision up there and say, this is what you're going to do. And he could have he didn't encourage him. He glorified himself. He took his eyes off him. The problem is you're looking at you. Look at me. I made your mouth. I made Pharaoh's ears. I made those frogs. I did it all. It's about me. It's not about you. I will lead you. Let me lead you. I am your leader. Follow me. And if we study the Bible... There are people who did fail. When we look in Hebrews, there are people who did fail greatly. Jesus failed till three days later. And there will be people who are marked as failures on earth but have victory in heaven because we don't know the full story. The question isn't Success or failure. The question is, are you following the voice of God? It is through your fears, through staring at your fears. <laughs> I was talking to a friend and I was telling him I was getting ready to do this message He's like, what is this about? Well, I'm going to start it off. I'm just going to ask people to think about what they're afraid of. I was like, what are you afraid of? And listen, they were like, oh, tag, for real? Is that what? I thought we were just chilling. I was like, see, this is what happens when you talk about fear. Because it's not a small conversation. And it is the one thing you have to sit, pause, and truly reflect on. There's a very good chance the deepest fears you have have come from the greatest wounds you still have. Because no one wants to get hurt again. But through fear, God leads you to truth about himself. He would not know. He would not have been reminded that God made his mouth. But moreover, he heard something. I will be your mouth. I will teach you. God spoke to him. You can't learn that in the classroom. You learn that in the war room. God will lead you, listen, listen, listen. God will lead you to your fears. He will lead you to walk right up to the door of your fears. God right now is setting you up to walk into the deepest fears you have and he walks you towards the deepest fears you have and the greatest fears you have so that he would know and you would know that you now see him as greater than your greatest fear. God is greater, oh Lord. God is greater 
than your greatest fear. God is greater than your greatest fear. God is greater. The thing that you, I, oh man, I don't know what I, I'll do with it. If that happened, Lord's like, word, you don't know. If you got it. He's greater than your greatest fear. He's greater. Jesus teaching the disciples. He tests them. He allows them to be in the boat. And the winds and the waves come. And when you study Mark chapter 4, it says that Jesus is in the bottom of the boat and he's asleep. Now Jesus being Jesus knows that a storm is about to come and he, he basically puts himself in a position that when the storm comes, they look around and they don't see him. He puts himself in a position where they would have to operate in their fears. They would have to remind themselves that he's greater than his fears. And it says in, uh, than their fears, it says in Mark chapter four, and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, listen to what he says to them. Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, Jesus didn't say, why are you afraid of winds and waves? He says, why are you afraid? I'm in the boat, essentially. Why are you afraid? Why aren't you trusting me? Every time that you lack the resources, it gives you an opportunity to trust God's provision. Every time you are in doubt and have anxiety, it's an opportunity for you to trust God for peace. God brings you to that which you are afraid of, to see his promises, to see what is greater and grander in your soul, your fear or his presence. And what he says is, have you still no faith? I keep bringing you into these situations. I keep letting you knock against your fear so that you would trust in me. And they, the Bible says, were filled with great fear. You see, they feared. And then once they saw Jesus is bigger than the winds and the waves. They then feared Jesus. They saw that there was something greater and grander and had more control than their fear. They feared a greater fear in Christ. Their latter fear was not greater. Or rather, their latter fear became greater than their former fear. For a moment, their confidence in Jesus, their confidence in Jesus spiked, but they had to fear. They had to walk into those fears. Right now, God is going to take your deepest fears and walk you right towards them to teach you about himself. Father, we thank you that you are greater than our greatest fears. We thank you, God, that you want us to operate like Moses, who before you 
presents his fear. He names his fear. And yet, because he was able to name his fear, he was able to walk in power. Holy Spirit, even now, draw us into a greater sense of victory. Draw us into a greater sense of faith. And we know you're only going to do this by letting us walk towards that door of fear. In Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.